Welcome to today's 3PL Summit. We are joined by Ann Reinke, the president and CEO of Transportation Intermediaries Association. Welcome to the summit, Ann. Well, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited. Um, as someone who has long since worked in the 3PL and freight brokerage space, I feel like it's kind of like peeking behind the curtain to see kind of, you know, how things go. And I'm just really excited to get to, to be able to talk to you today. So before we jump too far in, let's get some background on you and kind of how you started at the TIA. Sure. Uh, I am from a railroad background. I was with CSX for 16 years. Uh, I left because I had never worked for the government. And and I, you know, I think it's a valuable exercise for people if they can to, to have some sort of outside experiences outside of the industry. So I worked for the Department of Transportation for 18 months. I learned in that time that there is a lot of stuff that goes on there and it takes a long time to get most things done. And it's it's an incredible skill set to have the patience to see things through and to execute and implement. I don't know if I had that patience. So I started looking for other opportunities and this TIA opportunity came to me and I thought, oh my gosh, what a fabulous industry. And it's sort of, as you said, peeking behind the screen of what is making freight work. And uh, so I've been here now two and a half years. I I love it. I also love that, you know, you understood that nothing in government ever moves quickly. And um, sometimes it's almost painfully slow. Like I would almost rather watch paint dry than try to wait out some kind of um, appeal or anything like that. So I'm glad that you got to join us over here in the cool land. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so can you explain kind of how TIA promotes ethical business practices in the transportation industry other than just like nobody should be breaking the rules because you guys kind of go above and beyond that to really make sure that everyone's on the up and up and, you know, operating safely for everyone? Sure. Uh, and thanks for asking, because ethics, as you know, is a huge issue, certainly right now with the amount of fraud that we're seeing in the in the marketplace. So I'd say we do it in three ways. The first is through education. We have our education courses now actually accredited by the Commonwealth of Virginia that emphasize the proper way of behaving and what you should do as a broker, how you maintain your clients and your customers and the right way to treat people. We have contractual frameworks, which delineate everything that you should do to protect everybody who is a stakeholder to the contract. We also as a requirement of membership, each member has to sign an ethical pledge. And how do you enforce that? Well, we have an ethics committee. So these are the people who volunteer sort of like your in internal affairs in the police department. These, these guys and gals volunteer to make sure that we're holding our members accountable. And we have to. And, and you know, if I can do anything really as president and CEOs to make sure that our word is our bond and that our members really do uphold the highest values. I think the last thing we do is try to externally communicate that if you're dealing with a TIA broker, there is sort of a good housekeeping seal of approval behind it. And so there are 31,000 brokers in the marketplace, apparently now. That's incredible if you think about it. It's yeah, it just ratcheted up over the last two and a half years for reasons we'll get into. And there are 2,000 TIA members. We hope you use us. 
I think that especially with the rise of like double brokering and fraud, like you were saying, I think that that kind of like seal of like, no, we are an ethical company. We are on the up and up. I think that that will only continue to carry weight and, you know, hold value moving forward because that way, if I'm a carrier, I'm a shipper and I'm like, oh, I need to move some freight. Let me reach out to this broker. And I have one that, you know, has that TIA and the other one that's like, don't worry, I can get it there really quickly. You, you won't even know. You won't even know. Um, I think, I think, but I'm just going to put it on the record. Everyone should probably go with the TIA one instead of, you know, Jimmy's broker shop that don't worry, we'll move it real quick, real quick. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We believe that to be true. <laughs> I mean, also, you know, you never know what Jimmy's going to do at his broker shop, but. Um, so what kind of measures has the TIA put into place, or at least what are you guys looking to implement in the future to kind of help solidify and cement this safer supply chain? I know you said you just got some training solidified by the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, are there any other big plans on the horizon for it? Yeah. So let's segmate out sort of safety on the one hand and and, and kind of security and, and, and eradicating fraud on the other. So on the safety side, we saw the last two years of the pandemic, and maybe because there is more traffic on the roads and the freight marketplace went bonanza, the tr- the truck accident rate also ratcheted up considerably. It went up 10% year over year. And the year before that, it was up 10% year over year. And so what we have been screaming for, you know, tilting at windmills for, is that there should be some sort of safety standard for carriers when a broker selects them. And and typically, and you probably know this because you have a brokerage background, unfortunately, most of the carriers out there are not rated. And the reason they're not rated is because someone from the FMCSA, an inspector, hasn't gone out to see them. 92% of those don't get rated because they're required to come out and physically check their brakes and look at every truck and all that stuff. And so as you might expect, FMCSA is constrained resources. They can't possibly go out. And so they only go out really to the big ones. And so that means your owner operators and your smaller carriers are disadvantaged. And so, you know, and then the broker then doesn't know, honestly, the reputation of that carrier and hasn't necessarily worked with it because 92% of them are not rated. So you're sort of like hoping for the best based on data that is available. But you know what? There is data available. It can be filtered up to FMCSA. There can be a rating that is established from that. And so that's what we've been asking the FMCSA to do is to establish that safety rating, either up or down, no conditional, because that, what I don't even know what conditional means. Nobody knows what conditional means. So th- that, we have legislation that would promote that, that would call for a rulemaking. And that to me seems like that could eliminate certainly some of the unsafe behavior that you see on the nation's highways. So that's safety. On the other side, we're talking about security and fraud. We, double brokering is what, I just went down to Atlanta. I met with about six members Every single one of them said they have never seen double brokering as bad as they've seen it in the last few months. And why is that? I think there are a lot of reasons you could probably think of some too, Mary, that the the fact that the freight market is down and there are a lot of people in the space means there are more people chasing less freight. But also with the digitization of freight, you know, you're not faxing documents any, every, uh, every time. You're not calling everybody. The, what you're doing is doing stuff online and it's so easy to hack into. It's so easy to commit fraud. And so our brokers contact what they think is a legitimate carrier 
is not. It's a fraudulent entity, may not be based in the United States. And on the other hand, the carrier then gets the business who they think is from a reliable broker who's either being spoofed or or what have you. And both parties get punished. One doesn't get paid. The other has to pay twice. Either way, right? And that's the best result. Otherwise, you have an insecure outcome where like one of our members had a, a load of freights, a load of meat stolen. We don't know where that meat ever went. Where did the meat go? Like, are we eating it now? I don't know. And so to me, that is something that's really, really a, a huge problem and not any enforcement to stop it. I mean, like you said, the FMCSA is limited in their resources. It's not like they can just like hire thousands of people to go out and inspect all these carriers. So I really feel like if they are able to kind of roll up these um, these like safety ratings and everything like that, just like uh, up or down. And if a carrier gets a down rating and they're like, no, 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 we're a good carrier, then they can appeal it. And then that will also kind of help the FMCSA know where they need to divert resources and where they need to go. Because, you know, you don't want to waste time going and inspecting the big guys because nine times out of 10, they're probably always going to pass because you know they're a large trucking entity yeah, it's a lot have, of those, exactly. yeah it's a lot of those smaller ones that have that problem and i can't even tell you how many times in the last few months again like you said i have heard so many people that's like you know we have these great programs in place we have all these rules for selecting new carriers we have all these like processes we go through and they'll still get hit with double brokering just because you know you don't know that's right. And, you know, so we have a couple of members that I talked to when I was in Atlanta, one that says they don't use a carrier that hasn't been in business for under two years. So you have a whole set of probably legitimate carriers that are being disadvantaged because of the this fraudulent exercise, which, again, most legitimate carriers are not doing. It's some entity from God knows where. We don't know where. And so what we, we've partnered with, um, OIDA, the owner operators and some other organizations to try to figure out what we can do from a best practices perspective. You know, we, we TIA put together a, a kind of a list of red flags of what our members for. And so, for example, one would be that there's a Gmail account as opposed to a legitimate business account that you're working with, or they don't give you a physical address. It's a PO box, or, you know, you can't ever contact the driver. There's no way to track the shipment. Like all of this stuff that that goes to tell you, all right, something is not right. And so I'm not going to do business with them. And, and so, you know, partnerships, also technology, we have a number of technology solutions that are trying to get at this problem. Yeah, it's something. And also just like, you know, as a former broker, you just know when something's too good to be true. You're like, okay, this guy says he has a team. He's coming in like 200 to $300 under every other spot quote I've gotten. And he's got like a at Yahoo. And you're like, dude, it's not that hard to just like Yahoo. register. A, yeah, right. It's like not that hard to register a domain on Google. Like, at least get into the early 2000s. Um, and sometimes you just like, like Alta have Vista, altavista.com, sfcglobal.net. <laughs> but it's some of those like those gut feelings where you're like, this is too good to be true. Maybe it might actually be too good to be true because you know, like if you're in those loads and you're in that network every day, like you know when something's kind of like, wait a second, this was too easy. Why was it too easy? This is a new carrier, not a lot of data on. Maybe just, you know, ask for some references. And any carrier I've asked for references, if they're a good carrier, they're like, oh, of course, no problem. Here you go. Here's some people you can call really quick. And other times, if they're like, why do you need references? You shouldn't have to ask for that. Then you're like, 
okay, maybe I'll just call someone else. Yeah, your spidey sense goes off. And and right, here's the advantage of having a down market, which there's not many advantages. But one of them is when we were in the middle of our, you know, freight bonanza, you don't necessarily have time to do like the third or fourth check on that carrier, you sort of have to get the freight moving. We have a little bit more time to do that. And, and, and unfortunately, now it seems like we have to do that much more often. You know, everyone I talked to said 10 to 12 times a day, they would have some either kind of spoofing of their name or or tended or, or their, their loads being double brokered back to them. I mean, it's it's insane. Yeah. Also, the audacity to uh, to try to double broker something back to someone that brokered it to you in the first place. Like that's just that's asking for trouble. <laughs> well, but unfortunately, as you know, there's not a lot of trouble that they're getting. I mean, what we're trying to do is have heat, light, and thunder, as my old boss would say to a cause that's affecting a lot of people. But with the exception of the state of California, which is really, they have a fraud division and they're going after bad actors. A lot of the reasons why is because a lot of it is coming, emanating from California, but there are not that many repercussions. It's almost like the perfect crime because they can get in the business and get out in 30 days and then create a new name and, you know, get a new MC number, maybe that, you know, and all of that, fake an MC number, all of that stuff. It's too easy to do. And if you're not going to get, you know, hit with some sort of enforcement action, then why not try? Right. Because all I'm going to do is create an MC number. And then if I get found out, oh, I have to shut down my, I shut down this MC. Okay. Nothing is stopping me from going and applying for another one the same day. That's right. So that's just, that's, that's one of my like things of like, why can't we just close this loop? Well, Mary, what is the solution? What are you thinking about that? I mean, I think the only thing that I could think of is that like, because it's like you said, the enforcement part of it is the hardest part because you have to have those resources to go after people. So ideally in a perfect world, you know, it would become like states would be able to get involved and they would be able to shut it down and then refer it up to the to the FMCSA say, hey, someone with this name can no longer apply for an MC number. But then again, that's not really changing anything because they could use a false name. So it's literally just like you try to stop one. It's like it's like you cut off the head of a snake and two more grow back. Yeah. I mean, you know this. You've pr- you probably have had your own identity spoofed and people get an email from you saying, hey, I just need a you know a few thousand dollars to, to whatever. And you're like, I didn't. It's not me. So, you know, I actually did. I'm a, a nerd, I guess. I called my it, my service provider and I said, hey, my you know, I'm being spoofed. And they're like, yeah, that that's too bad. That happens. I mean, you're sort of like there's nothing that can be done. Does anyone care? I mean, it just, but it's so rampant. I guess they have to, they don't have enough resources to to track it all down. So if we can do anything to help, and we also have, we have some members who put together their own list of people that they don't, um, they have had bad experiences. We have our TIA watchdog, right? Which provides our, just our members reports about you know, their interactions that provide some sort of help. But it's sort of like you've got to have six or seven different tools in the toolkit. You know? Exactly. And you kind of just it like, I, do we just need one. But to get to that one, we have to have like 10 others first, and then we can develop that one tool. But I mean, I like to think it'll change eventually. But also that's the optimist in me, the realist in me, you know, is like, it's probably going to be here for a while until we really figure out a good system. But, you yeah, know, it is what it is, unfortunately. Well, we're hopeful that if we have enough technology, enough sort of, again, enough attention to this matter, that the 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 very 
fraudulent crooks who apparently could have a lot of smarts and spend their time doing bad instead of doing good. Imagine what they could do if they did good. They will move on to something that's, you know, lower profile and no one's paying attention to. So right now, I think if they think that this is just too easy, we want to make it harder for them. Exactly. And I think that I feel like we're like so close, I can almost touch it. Like, we're right there. We're right there. Um, So I'm excited to see kind of how this develops and what kind of potential repercussions and actions come over the next few months. Um, But what kind of so you guys have really kind of doubled down on this safety and, you know, promoting ethical things, ethical supply chains. Um, What kind of challenges have you guys come when you're trying to implement these programs? Because I'm sure not everyone's like immediately like, oh, okay, I'm on board. Yeah, I think what can be challenging is so, you know, I just talked, we just talked ad nauseum about double brokering. So one of the challenges is that the perspective from from the enforcement side is, well, that's not a safety issue. We're FMCSA is a safety organization. We can we don't have the jurisdiction to really get involved. Right. They have a national consumer complaint database. Yes, that is under their, you know, their portfolio, but they don't believe that they are legally able to do much about those complaints because they are commercial complaints. So that can be frustrating because, again, from our perspective, we can create a scenario where actually safety is affected and where security in the chain of custody is affected. But running into that challenge, like this is just a commercial dispute. Same thing from from the state enforcement side. They said, well, it sounds like you're out of luck. You know, sorry you had this bad business deal. Again, it's it's really hard to sort of how can we make it so that so that the public understands that this punishes everyone. It pun- punishes the consumer because first of all, going back to the meat, what what's in that meat? Second of all, it, it, everything gets expensive, and and it the the cost of doing business ends up you know with the consumer sort of paying for it. So it, I think it's incumbent on us to create the the discussion where okay i get it i understand this is not this is not just a sort of a victimless crime or a crime that only affects the business community it affects everyone so that has been a challenge and then i think too you know we have to hold ourselves accountable as tia members that if we had know that any any of our members are doing that then we need to have a a a process, which we do, an ethics process to make sure that they are held accountable and that maybe they shouldn't be members. As for, as for you know, the rest of the people who aren't TIA members, look, if you want to be a TIA member, you need to, to recognize that there are obligations that go along with membership. Yeah. And it's just really, but really to me, like, I don't feel like those obligations that go along with membership are that, you know, like extensive. It's literally just you know, has an ethical business. (laughs) Yeah, doing the right thing, for goodness sake. And typically doing the right thing actually is more commercially prudent than not doing the right thing. So, you know, you'd think like, do you want to stay in business? Well, here, treat treat your customers and your carriers correctly. Exactly. And especially now that more and more consumers are, you know, on to the supply chain process and they want to know, like, how was my products manufactured? How was it? How did it get there? What kind of emissions has it had? Like consumers are more and more they want more and more information about how stuff gets to the store. And I think that those people that are less hesitant or more hesitant to, you know, share that information or have that transparency. I think that, you know, it might be a rough couple of years for them as everything kind of changes and everyone pushes towards transparency and you know more of doing the right thing is is i hate to say it trendy well yeah i mean part of the uh, we're not going to dive into the esg discussion that's for another day but you know certainly part of the obligations for 
ESG and and for co- corporate sort of social responsibility is knowing who your stakeholders are along the supply chain. And you know, we have focused on that with our with our participation in the EPA Smart Way program, right? So reducing emissions or have it focusing on how to reduce emissions. So can we also do this to how to reduce fraud? And I think that that's sort of where we're inevitably going. Um, kind of going into what you talked about earlier with the whole, you know, the memberships and the the obligations that come with being a TIA member. So a lot of people or a lot of 3PLs specifically like stuff that I've worked at or people I've talked to that have been in them have kind of seen TIA as like a big bad guy and kind of like this overlooming like you have to follow our rules. blah. But like the rules really aren't that intense if you go look at them. So kind of why do you think a lot of 3PLs still are hesitant to see TIA as a partner? Mary, I don't know if I agree with you, but let's just let's just assume that what you're saying is correct. Uh, So the brokerage industry has changed dramatically over, gosh, the last 40 years. So the the industry was deregulated in the 1980s. I was, you know, had feathered hair and was still in high school in the 1980s. So I can't opine on what happened. But what I, was, what I understand was, you know, at that time, the broker was paid a commission by the carrier. It was a totally different construct. Then it was partially deregulated and it was sort of a free-for-all. Since that time, it's become far more professionalized far more tech focused, far more savvy. We're not faxing people anymore, God forbid, although maybe we should go back to it. I don't know. But but and and because of the pandemic the last two and a half years, there is a recognition about how critical our role is in the supply chain. You know, our tagline is we're the center of the supply chain. And, you know, we're saying that because we connect the shipper and the carrier on the other hand. But but what's important about that is that we're deriving efficiencies in the marketplace because we have this reach into capacity that our shippers may not have. The shippers will know the big guys, right? As you know, the big guys represent such a small percentage of the total trucking market. And so we're able to connect. And, you know, again, I'll go back to my visit in Atlanta. The, the members I met with consider it so important to have good relationships with their carrier network and to treat them well and have them come back and so they can rely on them. So, you know, do you have to conduct yourself ethically? Yeah, well, there are more eyes on you. And I think, I don't know if there there are people out there who said TIA is a big bad ogre. I I don't know if that's true or not. But I would just say that it's for your long-term proposition, your value prop, as they would say, that your long-term value proposition is to do do good by your customers and do good by your carriers. And TIA is here to help you provide, we can provide the resources to make sure that it's not so onerous. It's actually understandable and it's common sense. It's truly like, no, no, we're here to help you. Like, tell us what you need and we will help you through it. We're not this big bad that's going to come and say, you're doing your business wrong. You're like doing all of this wrong. Like, it's no, just like, no, we're a friend. Like, just come hang out with us. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, too, what I've noticed about our community and the brokerage industry is these guys and gals are very entrepreneurial. They just wanted to scale up their business, do a good job. They're generous with learnings and education. They're happy to tell you where they've made mistakes along the way and how they improve themselves. This is not some sort of ossified, you know, sort of old farts. We're, we're people who are young and vibrant and interested in how we can change and adapt and modernize. Yeah, you guys are willing to change and willing to make those adaptations if the industry needs it. And it's not just like we're going to write legislation for the sake of writing legislation. No, we're trying to honestly, you know, there the these sort of threats about, 
you know, fraud and, and other things. These are existential to us. And so how do we preserve the best of the business, making sure that we continue to make the marketplace efficient? Well, we, we got to make sure we do that. You know, it, it starts with us. And so hopefully we'll have a lot of people who join us on that ride. I am so looking forward to it. Um, speaking of joining on the ride, if anyone wants to reach out to you guys or get some more information on maybe how to become part of TIA or pick your brain on anything, where can they find you outside of the summit? Yeah. So TIANet.org is our fabulous website. And uh, I hope you consult it. You can always call me Ranky at TIANet.org is my is my email. And I respond to things. How about that? What would you imagine that? Outrageous. Gives you a girl that can do both. I know. I'm not a, I'm not a bot. I am not some kind of internet bot. I wish I knew how to do that. That's the one thing about being Generation X is that we don't really know how to do that kind of stuff. So it's, it's an advantage for her. <laughs> to be fair, as a millennial, I do not know how to create a bot either. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So we both know how to create a bot. I'll, let, I'll leave it to Gen Z. It's fine. Thank you so much for participating in our summit. Uh, it was so nice to be able to talk to you. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. I hope the rest of the summit goes great. Uh, that does it for our keynote this morning. We're going to toss it back to the studio. There's a ton more content coming up in the summit. If you're not active in the live chat right now, make sure to pop in and say hi. If you haven't registered yet, no sweat. There is still time. Head on over to events.freightwaves.com and sign up. You do not want to miss these daily prizes. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started.